We're in a series entitled, Minor Prophets, Major Messages. And the last time I shared with you, we talked about Hosea. And Hosea's message is about God's radical love, a love that is beyond our comprehension. Today we're going to look at the book of Joel. Uh, Joel was a prophet, and outside of his book, we know nothing about him. Uh, There's nothing in his book that tells us when he was alive. Uh, There are no kings mentioned, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Egypt not mentioned, and so it's very difficult for us to know when he lived. But one thing is certain as we read his book. He is writing in the aftermath of a natural disaster. It's not an earthquake, not a tsunami, not a tornado, uh, not a hurricane. But the natural disaster that he writes about is a locust swarm. He's writing in the aftermath of a locust swarm that that has totally destroyed the farmland of Palestine. And he is looking at it. And he is interpreting that natural disaster from the standpoint of what is God trying to say? Joel, beginning with chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children. And let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. When the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Now skip to verse 13. Put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for that day, for that day of the Lord is near, and it will come like destruction from the Almighty. Then skip to chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. 
Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the, at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. And skip to verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord had said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. I remember the year the grasshoppers came. I don't remember the exact year, except to know that it was sometime in the late 1960s or early 1970s. I don't know whether it happened everywhere like it did where I live. But in North Georgia, I remember that particular summer. It was hot, as summers normally are in Georgia, and humid, as summers normally are in Georgia. But what was occurring that had not happened, at least in my lifetime, my short lifetime, up to that point was we had an invasion of grasshoppers. Now, I know you're saying, well, we always have grasshoppers in Georgia in the summer. Yes, we do. We always have those little grasshoppers that jump everywhere. Yes, we do. But this one was different. Late 60s, early 70s, we had an invasion of grasshoppers. They were black grasshoppers. And on the underside, the abdominal area of the grasshopper, that long comb on its underside, was a mixture of black to to yellowish brown. And they were anywhere from three to five inches long. And they flew. And if you went outside in North Georgia that summer, you would not go five feet away from your front door before one of them ran into you. They were everywhere. I remember them being all over my dad's uh, scuppernong vines. And he had a garden that was about an acre and a half long and had all kinds of of vegetables and fruit growing in that garden. And those black grasshoppers with the yellowish brown underside, they were everywhere. They were chewing on leaves. They would run into your faces. And I remember, I remember as as a, a, a young boy trying to figure out some things about those grasshoppers. Where did they come from and where were they last year? And where were they the year before that? And how do we get rid of them? And why this summer, as opposed to other summers, did we have these big grasshoppers? I remember uh, being at, at country churches and people talking about, have you ever seen a summer like this with so many grasshoppers around? The old men would be talking about, it, especially the farmers. Yeah, I've been trying to get rid of those doggone things and can't get rid of them anywhere grasshoppers. I remember one discussion where somebody called them not grasshoppers, but locusts. I'd never heard that before. What's a locust? That's some sort of biblical thing. These are grasshoppers. It took me some time to figure out that grasshoppers and locusts look identical. 
In fact, some people use the names interchangeably. It was a grasshopper swarm. In Joel's day, whenever that was in the Old Testament times in which he wrote, there was a swarm of giant black grasshoppers that he called locusts. Now, I began wondering about this. What is the difference between a locust and a grasshopper? And some people say there is no difference. Other people say this grasshoppers are solitary insects. In other words, they usually keep to themselves. They don't buddy up very often with other grasshoppers. And locusts are normally also solitary insects, except there are those times when a large number of locusts are congregated in a certain area. And and, uh, biologists tell us that when they are together... In huge populations, their biochemistry, their internal makeup changes to the point that they go from being solitary loners to insects that that always congregate in a swarm to the point that the swarm as a whole that can consist of millions of locusts, that swarm operates as a single creature moving through vast areas of land. Now, we don't uh, think about locust swarms that much. I mean, when was the last time we looked at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and on the front page it said, locust swarm sweeps through Palmetto, Georgia. We've had some other things sweep through Palmetto, Georgia, but not locust swarms. But locust swarms uh, have swept through states like Texas and out in the Midwest a lot. Just last month, In Madagascar, there was a swarm of locusts that swept through the country of Madagascar and and took away the food supply of 460,000 families last month. A small swarm of locusts can eat enough vegetation per day that could feed 2,500 people. These bad boys are nothing to laugh at. I'm thankful that we don't have them that much here in Georgia. But for Joel, it, it was, he was writing in the aftermath of just such a locust swarm. Except he wasn't asking the same questions that I was asking back in the late 60s, early 70s when I saw those giant grasshoppers. I was asking, why are they here this summer as opposed to other? Why weren't they here last summer? And, and how do we kill them? Joel wasn't asking any of those questions at all. In fact, he was mainly asking one question. What is the relationship of these locusts to God? And more specifically, what is God trying to say to us through these locusts? I have to admit, I never thought about that when those big three to five inch black grasshoppers were climbing all over the scuppernongs of of my daddy's garden back uh, decades ago. But when I think about the way Joel was looking at this natural disaster, it prompted me to start thinking about the different things that you and I have experienced in our lives and how God relates to those. And and I want to say uh, uh, four uh, truths. I want to share with you four truths that that I, I have gleaned from looking at Joel's words and from examining the things that happen to us. And here's truth number one. I want you to get this. Truth number one. God speaks through our circumstances. Now, there are many ways that God speaks to us. 
People who try to figure out God's will or, or try to hear what God is saying, they, uh, and, and probably you have studied uh, how to know God's will, you know that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. God speaks through the counsel of, of godly uh, Christians that you know. But God also speaks through circumstances. Here is Joel. He's standing in the, in the area of Judea around Jerusalem and he's looking at acres upon acres, hundreds of acres upon hundreds of acres of farmland that is absolutely destroyed, been eaten down to the ground. And in his circumstance, rather than questioning why has this happened? How do we kill them? Why didn't they come last year? He's saying, God, what are you saying to us through these circumstances. I want you just to stop and think for a minute. Because every one of us, every single person in this room today, came through either the side or the front doors, and you brought with you circumstances. Things that are happening right now in your life. Certainly, it's not going to be a locust swarm, but for you, it may feel just as overwhelming as one. It can be a job loss. It can be a loss of money. I was talking with a fellow yesterday. Uh, in fact, he's a, he's a, he married a cousin of mine. We were at a reunion, and he has been a plumber all of his life, and, and one who commanded a, a pretty high wage for being a plumber. Whenever I was... Uh, a teenage boy, he was doing a million dollar homes in, in uh, Roswell, Georgia. And I said, how's the plumbing business? And he said, it's, it's almost gone. He said, he said, the problem started in November of 2007. I said, really? He said, that's when it started. He said, in 2005 and 6 and 7, he said, I plumbed 200 to 250 new houses every year. But he said, in 2008, it went from 200 to 15. And he said, in 2009, I plumbed three. And so far in 2010, he said, I plumbed three houses. He said, I had 15 employees three years ago. I have three now, and they're not busy at all. Circumstances. Circumstances. Maybe your circumstances are health issue. Maybe your circumstance has to do with one of your children. Maybe your circumstance has to do with your marriage or something that is going on at work. Here is the question that I, I want to submit to you, that you and I will ask ourselves. What is God saying to me through my circumstance? Because God speaks through our circumstances. For Joel, God was speaking through this locust swarm. Now, the second thing that I, I want to say to you from this passage is this. Not only does God speak to us through our circumstances, but often when he speaks to us, he is speaking to us for the purpose of redirecting our way. He is speaking to us for the purpose of redirecting our way. Now, look again at Joel chapter 1, verse 5. Wake up! You drunkards and weep. Wail, you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. He's not coming down on people who drink wine there. He's coming, he, he, he's, he's given a picture of the fact that all of the grape vineyards in Palestine have been, have been ravaged down to the roots. He says, verse 6, a nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. And so what are they to do? He says, put on sackcloth, verse 13, and mourn and spend the night in sackcloth. In verse 14, he says, declare a holy fast 
call a sacred assembly. In other words, lay aside everything that you normally do, whether it's eating, drinking, uh, socializing, working, whatever it is, lay it aside and spend that time with your face before God. He says you need a redirection of your way. Sometimes God speaks to our circumstances in order to change our behavior. We don't like that today. We don't like somebody telling us to change the way that we live. And yet God is constantly trying to get our attention to say, hey, you're going the wrong way. You need to turn. That's what the word repent means. It means it means you're going down the road in one direction, a wrong direction. And God says repent, which means to turn. Turn and go in a direction that is God word. What is the direction of your life right now? And are the circumstances that you are facing right now, uh, are they, do they serve as God's voice redirecting you into a better direction for your life? Sometimes when God speaks to us through our circumstances, it's for the purpose of redirecting our way. Sometimes that redirection involves humbling us. And, and this happens to everybody too. Uh, even the Apostle Paul, we talked about his thorn in the flesh in the last chapters of, of, uh, of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. Paul said, it was, there was given unto me a, a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh to buffet me. And he said, I prayed three times that God would take it away. But God said, no. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. There was something in Paul's life, and, and that chapter that you read in 2 Corinthians indicates that there was pride in Paul's life, or at least the potential for it. And so God allowed this this thorn in the flesh to humble Paul. It was a circumstance in his life through which God was saying, Paul, it's time to, to bring you back down to earth. If there's one thing I believe in, in America that needs to happen, and I'm talking about to God's people, we need a humbling. The third truth that we see here is that sometimes when God speaks to us through, his circumstance, through our circumstances, not only is it to redirect our path, but sometimes it is to give us hope. In fact, it always has hope as a part of the process. Sometimes God gives us hope when he speaks to us. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 He's been really coming down on them all through chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2. And then he says this, he says, but even now, that's a pregnant two words right there. Even now, in spite of everything I've said, in spite of the total wrong direction that you're going in, even now, he says, if you return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and if you rend your hearts and not your garments, he says in verse 28, I will pour out my spirit on all people. You see, back in that day, if something terrible happened to you, as a sign of mourning, you would just rip the clothes, the outer garments that were on you, just rip them as a sign of mourning. And God was saying to them, you're ripping your garments, but you're not doing anything to your heart. He said, ripping your garments is worthless unless there is a change in your heart. But he says, if you return to me, 
If you rend your hearts as well as your garments, he says, I will return to you and I will pour my spirit out upon you. God is in the hope giving business. You know, one of the reasons why we don't spend a whole lot of time in the prophets, especially the minor prophets, because we get, we have come away with the idea that, oh gosh, it's just gloom and doom reading those prophets, man. If you want to get in deep, deep, dark depression, read Ecclesiastes first and then just jump straight to the minor prophets, man. But the fact of the matter is that while, yes, they do confront sin, I mean head on, they, they do it for the purpose of giving hope to God's people. God wants, desperately wants to give you and me hope. That is his primary focus in your life is to give you hope. And not just eternal hope in heaven, certainly that is there. And if you have a relationship with Christ, the eternal hope, the hope that carries you into heaven after you die, that's there. But he wants to give you hope here and now. Some of you are wondering how you're going to make it through a day, much less how you're going to make it into heaven. And God is here to give us hope for all of those. And then the fourth thing that I really want you to get... If, if, If you only get one of these four truths that I'm sharing with you, get this one. And it's this. God speaks to us to deal with us, not them. You have circumstances. I will guarantee you God is saying something to you through your circumstances. Now, if you and I are not careful... We will, we will hear God speaking through our circumstances, but we will hear him telling us how to correct them. And the moment we go there, we've missed what he's saying. Read any or all of the prophets. Read any of these minor prophets. Hosea two weeks ago, it wasn't them. It wasn't them over there that God was trying to correct. It was God's people. God's people were Gomer. God's people in Joel were affected by the storm. God's people today need to return to him. It's not the lost out there. How can the lost be revived? They've never been alive. It's God's people who need reviving. It's you and me who need to hear what God is saying to us in my circumstances. And I have circumstances and God is speaking to me in those circumstances. But what he's saying to me, he's saying to clean me up. And what he's saying to you, he's saying to clean you up. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God has appointed you to clean them up. God has appointed you to get your house in order. Well, I guess you heard a potential natural disaster has affected the United States. I was watching the news uh, early this past week. And this natural disaster has now impacted all 50 states, including Alaska and Hawaii. In the middle of this past week in Chicago, Illinois, there was a conference 
the first ever convention to deal with this problem, the first ever natural bedbug convention. I want to know how they got to Alaska. It's cold up there. Those bed bugs are tough, man. But then again, I'm told they like to come out in the dark, and it's darker in Alaska longer than anywhere else. I guess they can have a real party up there. You know what the reason for the convention was? Pest control experts from all over the country convened on Chicago, Illinois, to come up with an effective resolution for killing bed bugs. Did you know that in Manhattan, New York, they had to close down Nike Town because of a bed bug infestation? Did you know they found them in Macy's and Bloomingdale's week before last in Manhattan? So y'all going down to the dressing rooms. <laughs> Try on those pants, that dress. <laughs> Did you know Reinhardt College up here in Waleska had to evacuate their dormitories this past week and treat them for bed bugs? Do you know what, it, what the average cost per homeowner is to have uh, bed bugs treated? It's between $2,000 and $2,500. And somebody's thinking, wow, all of my folks take three baths a day. It's not going to affect, doesn't matter how many baths you take. It's not connected with cleanliness, I'm told. So you can go live in the shower and it's not going to keep those bed bugs from out of your bed. Yeah. Now, I don't know. But could it be? Could God speak through what's happening with bed bugs? I don't know. He did in Joel's day. What's he saying to you? Let's pray. Father, every one of us brought in our circumstances. We brought our lives with us this morning. And for some of us, Lord, what's happening in, in our lives, we would prefer to have a locust swarm than what's happening. God, what are you saying? To, to me through my circumstances. Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to us? And Lord, please steer us away from this mentality we've got that, that oh, you're speaking to me so I can fix them. There's too much of me that's broken to try to fix them. God, help your people to hear what you're saying to us to fix us.
Lord, in this invitation, we know, Lord, that you want to save someone who's lost. If you're here this morning and you've never invited Christ into your life, this is the time to invite Christ in your life. We invite you to move out from where you are and come to this front and invite Christ to save you. Invite Him into your life. We have people who will help you pray and counsel with you. You may be someone who is saved, but you haven't joined a local church. Maybe you haven't been baptized. God wants that for your life. But what about you and your own circumstances? What are you dealing with right now? And what is God saying to you? Maybe there's a a decision you need to make this morning. God, I pray that you would work through this crowd and bring your will to be done. May your kingdom come in individuals' lives right here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.